Part One, Chapter Four C of the Adventures of Jimmy Dale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard. Reading by Mary Rohde. Part One: The Man in the Case. Chapter Four C: The Counterfeit Five concluded. Jimmie Dale's eyes, fixed through the space between the piles of cases, narrowed. There was, indeed, little doubt but that the shoe-store proprietor below was an accomplice. The store served a most convenient purpose in every respect. As a secret means of entry into the room, as a sort of guarantee of innocence for the room itself, why not? To the superficial observer, to the man who might by some chance blunder into the room, it was but an adjunct of the store itself. The man in the trap doorway paused with his shoulders above the floor, looked around, listened, then drew himself up, walked across the floor, and shot the heavy bolt on the door that led into the hallway of the house. He returned then to the trap door, bent over it, and whistled softly. Two more men, in answer to the summons, came up into the room. "'The cap'll be along in a minute,' one of them said. "'Turn on the light.' A switch clicked, flooding the room with sudden brilliancy from half a dozen electric bulbs. "'Too many,' grunted the same voice again. "'We ain't workin' tonight. Turn out half of them.' The sudden transition from the darkness for a moment dazzled Jimmy Dale's eyes, but the next moment he was searching the faces of the three men. There were few crooks, few denizens of the crime world below the now obsolete but still famous deadline that, as Larry the Bat, he did not know at least by sight. Moulton, Whitey Burns, and Marty Dean, confided Jimmy Dale softly to himself and I don't know of any worse except the cap. And gunfighters, every one of them, too. Nice odds to say nothing of. Here's the cap now, announced one of the three. Hello, cap. Where'd you raise the mustache? Jimmy Dale's eyes shifted to the trap door, and into them crept a contemptuous and sardonic smile. The man who was coming up now and hoisting himself to the floor was the man who, half an hour before, had threatened young Sammy Matthews with arrest. The cap, alias Bert Malone, alias a score of other names, closed the trap door after him, pulled off his mustache and gray wig, tugged them in his pocket, and faced his companions brusquely. "'Never mind about the mustache,' he said curtly. "'Get busy, the lot of you. "'Stir around and get the works out.' "'What for?' inquired Whitey Burns, "'a sharp, ferret-faced little man. "'We got enough of the old stuff on hand now, "'and that bum break Gregor made "'when he pinched the cracked plate to put the finish on that. "'Say, Cap, close your face, Whitey, "'and get the works out,' Malone cut in shortly. "'We've only got the whole night ahead of us, "'but we'll need it all.' We're going to run the queer off that cracked plate. One of the others, Marty Dean this time, a certain brutal aggressiveness in both features and physique, 
edged forward. "'Say, what's the lay?' he demanded. "'A joke? We printed one fiver off that plate, and then we knew enough to quit. Would that crack along the corner? You couldn't pass them on a blind man.' and Gregor, saying he thought we could patch the plate up enough to get by with, gives me a pain. He's got jingles in his dome factory. Run them fivers, eh? Say, are you cracked, too? Ah, oh, forget it, observed Malone caustically. Who's running this gang? Then, with a malicious grin, I got a customer for those fivers. Fifteen thousand dollars for all we can turn out tonight, see? The others stared at him for a moment, incredulity and greed mingling in a curious, half-hesitant, half-expectant look on their faces. Then Whitey Burns spoke, circling his lips with the tip of his tongue. "'Do you mean it, Cap? Honest? What's the lay? How'd you work it?' Malone, unbending with the sensation he had created, grinned again. "'Easy enough,' he said offhandedly. It was like falling off a log. Gregor said, didn't he, that the only way he had been able to get his claws on that plate was on account of young Matthews going away sick, eh? Well, the old Matthews woman, his mother, has got money, about fifteen thousand. I guess she ain't got any more than that, or I'd have raised the ante. Aw, oh, I was easy. She threw it at me. I framed one up on them, that's all. I'm Klein of the Secret Service, see? I don't suppose they'd ever seen him, though they'd known his name fast enough. But I made up something like him. I showed them where I had a case against Sammy for pinching the plate that was strong enough to put a hundred innocent men behind the bars. Of course, he knew well enough he was innocent, but he could see the twenty years I showed him with both eyes. Say, he must all over the place, and went and fainted like a girl. And then the old woman came across with an offer of fifteen thousand for the plate, and corrupted me. Malone's cunning, vicious face, now that the softening effects of the gray hair and mustache were gone, seemed accentuated diabolically by the grin broadening into a laugh as he guffawed. Marty Dean's hang swung with the bang to Malone's shoulder. "'Say, Cap, say, you're all right,' he exclaimed excitedly. "'You're the boy. "'But what's the good of running anything off that plate "'before turning it over to him? "'The stuff's no good to us.' "'You got a wooden nut with sawdust for brains,' said Malone sarcastically. "'If he thought the gang of counterfeiters "'that was supposed to have bought the plate from him "'had run off only one fiver "'and then stopped because they said it wouldn't get by,' and weren't going to run any more, and just destroy the plate like it was supposed to have been destroyed to begin with, and it all end up with no one the wiser, where do you think we'd have banked that fifteen thousand? I told him I had the whole run confiscated, and that the queer went with the plate. So we'll just make that little run tonight, and that's why I sent word around to you this morning." "'By the jumping!' ejaculated Whitey Burns, heavy with admiration. "'You got a head on you, Cap.' "'It's a good thing for some of you that I have,' returned Malone complacently. "'But don't stand jawing all night. Go on now. Get busy.' There was no surprise in Jimmy Dale's face. 
he had chosen his position behind a pile of cases that he had been extremely careful as a man is careful when his life hangs in the balance to assure himself were empty none of the four came near or touched the pile behind which he stood but here and there about the room they pulled this one and that one out from various stacks in scarcely more than a moment the room was completely transformed it was no longer a storeroom for surplus stock for the storage of bulky and empty packing cases from the cases the men had picked out like a touch of magic appeared a veritable printing plant an elaborate engraver's outfit a highly efficient foot-power press rapidly being assembled by whitey burns an electric dryer inks a pile of white silk-threaded banknote paper a cutter and a score of other appurtenances yes said jimmie dale very gently to himself yes quite so but the plate ah malone was taking it out from the middle of a bundle of old newspapers loosely tied together that he had lifted from one of the cases jimmie dale's eyes fastened on it and from that instant never left it a minute passed two three of them the four men were silently busy about the room malone was carefully cleaning the plate they will raid tonight look out for klein he is the sharpest man in the united states secret service the warning in her letter was running through jimmie dale's mind klein the real klein was going to raid the place tonight when at what time it must be nearly eleven o'clock already and it came sudden quick as the crack of doom a terrific crash against the bolted door but the door undoubtedly to the surprise of those without held fast thanks to the bolt the four men white-faced seemed for an instant turned to statues came another crash against the door and a sharp imperative order to those within to open it and surrender we're pinched beat it whispered whitey burns wildly and dashed for the trap-door like a rat for its hole marty dean followed malone farther away dropped the plate on the floor and rushed with molten beside him after the others but he never reached the trap-door over the crashing blows raining now in quick succession on the door of the room over a startled commotion as lodgers rumors and tenants on the floor above awoke into frightened activity with shouts and cries came the louder crash of a pile of packing-boxes hurled to the floor and over them vaulting those scattered in his way jimmie dale sprang at malone the man reeled back with a cry molton dashed through the trap-door and disappeared the short ugly barrel of jimmie dale's automatic was between malone's eyes you make a move said jimmie dale in a low sibilant way and i'll drop you where you stand put your hands behind your back palms together malone dazed cowed obeyed a panel of the door split and rent down its length the hinges were sagging jimmie dale worked like lightning the cord with the slip noose from his pocket went around malone's wrists jerked tight and knotted the placard his lips grim with no sign of humor jimmie dale dangled around the man's neck 
an introduction for you to Mr. Klein out there, that you seem so fond of, gritted Jimmy Dale. Then, working as he talked, I've got no time to tell you what I think of you, you pitiful hound. He snatched up the plate from the floor and put it in his pocket. Twenty years, I think you said, didn't you? His hand shot into Malone's pocketbook and extracted the five-dollar note. If you can open this with your toes, maybe you can get away. He wrenched the trap door over and slammed it shut. Good night, Malone. And he leaped for the window. The door tottered inward from the top, ripping, tearing, smashing hinges, panels, and jam. Jimmy Dale got a blurred vision of brass buttons, blue coats, and helmets, and in the forefront of a stocky, gray-mustached, gray-haired man in plain clothes. Jimmy Dale threw up the window, swung out, as with a rush the officers burst through into the room, and a revolver bullet hummed viciously past his ear and dropped to the ground into encircling arms. "'Oh, no, you don't, my bucko!' snapped a hoarse voice in his ear. "'Keep quiet now, or I'll crack your bean, understand?' But the officer, too heavy to be muscular, was no match for Jimmy Dale, who, even as he had dropped from the sill, had caught sight of the lurking form below. And now, with a quick, sudden, lithe move, he wriggled loose, his fist from a short-arm jab smashed upon the point of the other's jaw, sending the man staggering backward, and Jimmy Dale ran. A crowd was already collecting at the mouth of the alleyway, mostly occupants of the house itself, and into these, scattering them in all directions, eluding dexterously another officer who made a grab for him, Jimmy Dale charged at top speed, burst through, and headed down the street running like a deer. Yells went up, a revolver spat venomously behind him, came the shrill jeep jeep of the police whistle and heavy boots pounding the pavement in pursuit. Down the block Jimmy Dale raced. The yells augmented in his rear. Another shot, and this time he heard the bullet buzz, and then he swerved into the next alleyway that flanked the sanctuary. He had perhaps a ten yards lead, just a little more than the distance from the street to the side door of the sanctuary that opened on the alleyway. And as he ran now, his fingers tore at his clothing, loosening his tie, unbuttoning coat, vest, collar, shirt, and undershirt. He leaped at the door, swung it open, flung himself inside, and then, sacrificing speed to silence, went up the stairs like a cat, cramming his mask now into his pocket. His room was on the first landing. In an instant he had unlocked the door, entered, and locked it again behind him. From outside an excited street urchin's voice shrilled up to him. He went in that door! I seen him! The police whistle chirped again, and then an authoritative voice. Get around and watch the saloon back of this, Heaney. There's a way out through there from this joint. Jimmy Dale, divested of every stitch of clothing that he had worn, pulled a disreputable collarless flannel shirt over his head, pulled on a dirty and patched pair of trousers, and slipped into a threadbare and filthy coat. Jimmy Dale was working against seconds. They were at the lower door now. 
He lifted the oilcloth in the corner of the room, lifted up the loose piece of the flooring, shoved his discarded garments inside, and from a little box that was there smeared the hollow of his hand with some black substance, possessed himself of two little articles, replaced the flooring, replaced the oilcloth, and in bare feet stole across the room to the door. Against the door, without a sound, Jimmy Dale placed a chair, and on the chair seat he laid the two little articles he had been carrying in his hand. It was intensely black in the room, but Jimmy Dale needed no light here. From under the bed he pulled out a pair of woolen socks and a pair of Congress boots, both as disreputable as the rest of his attire, put them on, and very quietly, softly, cautiously stretched himself out on the bed. The officers were at the top of the stairs. A voice barked out, "'Stand guard on this landing, Peters. Higgins, you take the one above. We'll start from the top of the house and work down. Allow no one to pass you.' "'Yes, sir. Very good, Mr. Klein,' was the response. "'Klein!' the sharpest man in the United States Secret Service, she had said. Jimmy Dale's lips set. I'm glad I had no shave this morning, said Jimmy Dale grimly to himself. His fingers were working with the black substance in the hollow of his hand, and the long, slim, tapering fingers, the shapely, well-cared-for hands, grew unkempt and grimy, black beneath the fingernails, and a little, too, played its part on the day's growth of beard, a little around the throat and the nape of the neck, and a little across the forehead to meet the locks of straggling and disordered hair. Jimmy Dale wiped the residue from the hollow of his hand on the knee of his trousers, and lay still. An officer paced outside. Upstairs doors opened and closed. Gruff, harsh tones and commands echoed through the house. The search party descended to the second floor, and again the same sounds were repeated, and then, thumping down the creaking stairs, they stopped before Jimmy Dale's room. Someone tried the door, and, finding it locked, rattled it violently. "'Open the door!' it was Klein's voice. Jimmy Dale's eyes were closed, and he was breathing regularly, though just a little slower than in natural respiration." "'Break it down,' ordered Klein tersely. There was a rush at it, and it gave. It surged inward, knocked against the chair, upset the ladder. Something tinkled to the floor, and four officers, with Klein at their head, jumped into the room. Jimmy Dale never moved. A flashlight played around the room and focused upon him. And then he was shaken roughly, only to fall inertly back on the bed again. "'I guess this is all right, Mr. Klein,' said one of the officers. "'It's Larry the Bat, and he's doped to the eyes. "'There's the stuff on the floor we knocked off the chair.' "'Light the gas,' directed Klein curtly, "'and, being obeyed, stooped to the floor "'and picked up a hypodermic syringe and a small bottle. "'He held the bottle to the light and read the label. "'Liquor Morphine.' "'Shake him again,' he commanded.' None too gently, a policeman caught Jimmy Dale by the shoulders and shook him vigorously. Again Jimmy Dale, once the other let go of his hold, fell back limply on the bed, breathing in that same slightly slowed way. 
"'Larry the Bat, eh?' grunted Klein. Then, to the officer who had volunteered the information, "'Who's Larry the Bat? What is he? And how long have you known him?' "'I don't know who he is any more than what you can see there for yourself,' replied the officer. "'He's a dope fiend, and I guess a pretty tough case, though we've never had him up for anything. He's lived here ever since I've been on the beat, and that's three years or—' "'All right,' interrupted Klein crisply. "'He's no good to us. You say there's an exit from this house into that saloon at the back?' "'Yes, sir, but the fellow, whoever he is, couldn't get away from there. Heaney's been over on guard from the start.' "'Then he's still inside there,' said Klein, clipping off his words. "'We'll search the saloon. Nice night's work this is. One out of the whole gang, and that one with the compliments of the gray seal.' The men went out and began to descend the stairs. One, said Jimmy Dale to himself, still motionless, still breathing in that slow way so characteristic of the drug. Two, three, four. The minutes went by, a quarter of an hour, a half hour. Still Jimmy Dale lay there, still motionless, still breathing with slow regularity. His muscles began to cramp, to give him exquisite torture. Around him all was silence. Only distant sounds from the street reached him, muffled and at intervals. Another quarter of an hour passed, an eternity of torment. It seemed to Jimmy Dale, for all his willpower, that he could not hold himself in check, that he must move, scream out even, in the torture that was passing all endurance. It was silent now, utterly silent. And then out of the silence, just outside his door, a footstep creaked, and a man walked to the stairs and went down. Five, said Jimmy Dale to himself, the sharpest man in the United States Secret Service. And then, for the first time, Jimmy Dale moved, to wipe away the beads of sweat that had sprung out upon his forehead. End of Part 1 Chapter 4 Concluded